0: The text for this morning's sermon is Isaiah 53, verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, we are currently in the Advent season in the time leading up to Christmas. Last week, we considered the heart of God. We specifically looked at God's grief, at man's rebellion and sin against him. You'd expect God to be angry with mankind and to pour out his wrath on us. Yet it's because of his compassionate heart that God sent his son to redeem us. God considers us to be his children. It goes against his character, against who he is, to condemn his beloved children to hell. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Yet a question remains, how is God going to accomplish our salvation? It's one thing for God to be grieved at our sin and rebellion against him. And it's wonderful to know that God is a heart full of compassion towards us. Yet God said that if man ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, he would die We know that our rebellion makes us liable to the judgment of God. We deserve to come under his wrath. And God is a fair God. He can't just wish away what happened. So what is God's plan for our redemption? How will the Lord accomplish our salvation? How would he deal with his wrath against our sin and rebellion in such a way that he could show us his compassion and mercy. That's what our text deals with. It speaks about the will of the Lord. It's a reference to his plan of salvation. It involved bringing his judgment on the Messiah, Jesus Christ. For it's only by giving Christ as an offering for our guilt... That God would be able to shower us with his blessings. I preach to you God's word under the following theme. God's plan for our salvation involved oppressing and grieving his son, Jesus Christ. We'll consider God's good pleasure in oppressing and grieving his son. And in redeeming us. Isaiah 53 records one of the songs about the suffering servant of the Lord. It's the last and the most important of the servant songs. The suffering servant is none other than the Messiah, the future Redeemer. These songs give us a perspective on his life. They portray his life as being one of suffering. Christ is pictured as the man of sorrows. Yeah, there's a purpose to his suffering and to the sorrow that he would endure. God brought these things on Christ for our sake. The verses leading up to our text make this clear. The Lord himself brought his punishment on this suffering servant. Isaiah writes, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. While well, we, like sheep, have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Well, why did the Lord pierce Christ for our transgressions? Why did he crush him for our iniquities? Why did he lay on him the iniquity of us all? Well, our text answers those questions. Isaiah writes, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When you look at the Hebrew text of Isaiah 53, verse 10, it actually says, the Lord delighted to crush him, or the Lord took pleasure in crushing him. The word the ESV translates as the will of the Lord literally means to delight Or to take pleasure in. What our text literally says is that the Lord delights or takes pleasure in crushing the Messiah, his son. The Lord delights or takes pleasure in putting him to grief. Does that make any sense to you? Can you understand the radical thing that our text is communicating to us? Can your heart or mind make sense of God delighting or taking pleasure in crushing, in bringing grief to his beloved son? What is our text telling us? How are we to make sense of this? Many of us are parents. I want you to think of the heart that you have for your children. How do you feel about your children's well being? Do you ever fear for your children? Are there times when you warn them about dangers? You ever worried or anxious about what the future has in store for them? What happens when one of your children gets hurt? You feel that hurt, don't you? You want to protect them as much as you can. You have a heart for your children because you love them. So doesn't God have a heart for his son? Does he actually delight in crushing him and take pleasure in bringing grief on him? To be that way, God would have to be a psychopath. He'd have to be callous, unfeeling, morally depraved. Yet, if we know anything about God, we know He's not like that. God is not heartless, or cold, or cruel, or pitiless. He is good, righteous, upright. The Bible describes Him as being merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So why does our text use that word to delight or to take pleasure in our text? Well, you see, there's occasions where this word means exactly that. In Numbers 14, verse 8, Joshua and Caleb encounter the argument of the ten spies who discouraged the people from entering the land. And they countered this by saying, If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us. After Samuel offered up burnt offerings contrary to the command of the Lord, Samuel said to him, Has the Lord as great delight in offering burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Yet Isaiah also uses the word to delight, or to take pleasure in, in a different way. He uses it to refer to the Lord's plan, or counsel, or will. In Isaiah 44, verse 28, Isaiah prophesies about how Cyrus was the Lord's shepherd, how he would fulfill his purpose, which was to allow God's people to return from exile and rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. In Isaiah 46, 9 and 10, the Lord speaks about how He is God and there's none like Him. The Lord gives evidence of His sovereign rule by stating, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. You want to translate more literally? I will accomplish all what I want or desire or delight or take pleasure in. So what's the Lord communicating to us in our text? Well, the point is not that he takes delight or pleasure in bringing wrath and punishment on the Messiah, his beloved son. That would be sadistic. It would be barbaric. No, the point is that it was God's will. It was according to his counsel and plan that he determined that the only way to save us was by crushing his son and putting him to grief. I think we get the sense exactly right when we say that this was according to God's good pleasure. There's a passage in Luke 12 which teaches us further about God's good pleasure. Jesus is teaching his followers not to be anxious about what they will eat or the clothes to put on. He promises, our Father in heaven will feed us and clothe us. Jesus says, instead, seek his kingdom And these things will be added to you. And then Jesus makes a very profound statement. He says, fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Here Jesus reveals God's plan for all those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. It evolved much more than just providing with their daily needs, God's eternal plan for his people is to allow them to share in the blessings of the kingdom of heaven. Our confessions also refer to God's sovereign good pleasure. Often it is in connection with the decree of election. We believe that before the foundation of the world, God has, according to the sovereign good pleasure of his will, Out of mere grace, chosen in Christ to salvation, a people for himself. Our confession says, the cause of this gracious election is solely the good pleasure of God. The good pleasure does not consist in this, that out of all possible conditions, God chose certain qualities or actions of men as a condition for salvation, But in this, that out of the common mass of sinners, he adopted certain persons to be his own possession. You see, beloved, it was out of his sovereign good pleasure that God chose the people to himself. It was was out of his good pleasure that he was willing to give his only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Our confession says this promise ought to be announced and proclaimed universally and without discrimination to all peoples and to all men, to whom God in his good pleasure sends the gospel, together with the command to repent and believe. Here our confession reaffirms what the Lord says in Isaiah 55 verse 10 about the power of his word. God says, it will not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose. God's word will accomplish what God wants, what he desires, his sovereign good pleasure. He will use it to bring his chosen people to salvation. And that's what our text communicates, is that it was according to his good pleasure That the Lord was willing to crush his suffering servant and put him to grief. God's delight is not in actually crushing his son or bringing him to grief. Rather, it is to accomplish a greater good through the punishment that he laid on Christ. What God wants to come out of his son's suffering is of monumental proportions. God's delight is not in Christ's suffering, but in what would be accomplished through that suffering. I think most of you would be able to quote the words of John 3.16, one of the most famous and well-loved verses in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God so loved the world that he was willing to do this radical thing to give his son. God looked at this broken world. He looked at us, broken inside, separated from a relationship with him. God saw us Unable to fulfill the purpose for which we were created, to love Him, to live in communion with Him. God's heart was filled with so much grief, so much compassion, so much love. He could not leave us in our fallen state. Brings us to our second point. You know, we'll consider God's good pleasure in redeeming us. Our text speaks prophetically about the coming Messiah being a suffering servant. God was willing to crush him, to oppress him. He was willing to bring grief upon him. What did God do? Our text speaks about how he made his soul an offering for guilt. The suffering servant's life needed to be offered up as A guilt offering. Guilt offerings were made to atone for sin. Christ did not suffer merely because of his people's sin. He did not merely suffer with his people. He had to suffer for our sin. So that our debt could be paid. Christ suffered as our substitute. He suffered in our place. Christ had to suffer the wrath that we deserved because of our sins. He had to bear the burden of God's wrath against the sin of the whole human race. That's why that word about God crushing him so appropriate, Christ had to wear, had to bear the incredible weight of all our sins in order to redeem us. Beloved, have you ever considered the incredible burden Christ had to bear to pay for your sins? Can you see why Jesus prayed For the cup of suffering to pass him by? Can you understand why Christ was in agony in the garden of Gethsemane? And why his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground? Christ knew God was going to oppress him and crush him with the burden of his wrath against all our sins. No human being will ever fully understand the hellish agony Christ suffered during those three hours of darkness on the cross. It's in that time he bore God's wrath against the sins of the whole world. What is your response, beloved, when our text reveals God's plan for our salvation When it speaks about God's good pleasure in crushing his son so that you might live? Does the gospel message humble you? Does it make you sorry for your sins? Do you repent of them? True repentance involves more than just saying sorry. It involves grieving with heartfelt sorrow that you've offended God by your sins. It involves hating your sins and fleeing from them. But that's hard, isn't it? So often our sins cling to us. So often we sin because we get something out of it. We struggle to put off our sins because we think we'll get more out of them than we will by following God's commands. But that's because we don't know our God well enough. Consider the love of any parent for their child. Many parents would be willing to suffer much to save their son or daughter from hurt and pain. God's love is perfect. It's pure. It's holy. And yet, in his good pleasure, he was willing to crush his only son, his beloved son, to redeem us can you see the father's love for you how real it is we need to bask in the father's love the good news of the gospel is a magnificent love story consider our fallen state how our hearts were corrupt And our desires were only to do evil continually. We're unable to help ourselves. We're unable to fix the brokenness and the misery of this world. God had to act on our behalf. And God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He loved us so much, he subjected his son to unthinkable things. Why? Because the Messiah's death would give life to many. We read together this afternoon from Ephesians 1. In this passage, Paul sings a song of praise to God for the incredible blessings he has granted us in Christ. Paul begins his song of praise by saying, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Paul's song of praise runs on from verse 3 to verse 14. This passage makes it clear that God's electing love is totally and completely based on the saving work Of Jesus Christ. Verse 3 tells us about how we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Verse 4 says that God chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Verse 5 says that God predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ. Those words, in Christ are of tremendous importance. In Ephesians 1, the fact that our election and salvation is based on Christ's work is repeated in nearly every verse. They make it clear not only that God chose certain people to salvation from eternity, but also the manner in which this would take place, that it's only in and through Christ. Christ. You see, before the foundation of the world, the three persons of our triune God took counsel together to lay out this plan of salvation. Already at that time, the Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, stepped forward and He promised to give Himself up as a sin offering to save God's chosen ones from condemnation. He promised to pay the price we could not pay. To redeem us from our sins and restore us to God's favor. Paul's song of praise in the first half of Ephesians 1 is grounded in the gracious work of Christ for us and in us. Why is it important to consider God's work in Christ? What is so rich? About the good news of Christ coming into this world? What is it that we celebrate at Christmas time? We are celebrating God's incredible love for us. So, what, you might ask? We've heard it all before. Yes, you have. But the real question is has the gospel taken heart taken hold of your heart does it make you thankful for your father's deep love and your savior's sacrificial service so thankful that it changes your life There's times, beloved, when we are tempted to doubt the love of God. Maybe sometime next week or next month or in the coming year, you'll be tempted to doubt God's goodness and faithfulness toward you. Perhaps you're undergoing physical suffering. And you wonder why God has allowed you to experience pain. <coughs> Perhaps you'll be faced with financial struggles And you question why God causes you such hardships when you've been a good steward of the resources that he's given to you. Perhaps you'll face struggles in close relationships where it feels like someone close to you has turned their back on you. Maybe you're just looking at the world around you and you're seeing evil prosper. And you wonder, Where is God? Why doesn't he act against evildoers and deliver his own people? Life has its ups and downs, its joys, but also its struggles. Yet in the downtimes, in the struggles, in the times of anxiety and worry and despair, we can begin to doubt God's goodness, his love and his care. In times when struggles and doubts arise, I want you to think of Romans 8, verse 32. There Paul asks a rhetorical question. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God was willing to do a radical thing in offering up his beloved son to cruel suffering and death. It pleased God to do so because he was acting on our behalf so we may be assured of his continued love and his faithfulness to us. Do you know how we can be so sure of God's gracious care in our lives? We can be assured of that by looking at His love and faithfulness to His Son. You see, our text does not end with the Lord crushing and grieving His Son. It does not end with making Him a guilt offering to pay for our sins. There's a couple lines left in our text. Our text says that the suffering servant shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Isaiah 53 8-9 speaks about the judgment, about the punishment and judgment that would fall on the suffering servant. These verses describe what appears to be a completely futile life. The suffering servant dies without children, he's not even permitted to be buried among honorable people. When his sacrifice is accepted, everything changes for the servant himself and for those whom he has redeemed. The terms that are typically used of a person favored by God are now applied to the Messiah. He will see his offspring. He will live a long life. He will accomplish God's purposes for his life. While Isaiah 53.8 describes Christ as dying childless, he does not remain that way. By offering his life as a guilt offering, the Messiah opened the way of salvation to an innumerable number of people from all tribes and nations on earth. Isaiah 53.9 describes how Christ was buried among the wicked in the tomb of a rich man. It suggests the end of life, the futility of it. But Christ's suffering and death were followed by his resurrection unto life eternal. God did not allow death to hold Jesus in its grip. He has conquered sin and its ultimate end death. In doing so, Christ has earned for us an entrance into everlasting life. We may look forward to life with Him in eternal joy and glory. Our text ends with the statement, the will of the Lord shall prosper in His hand. Again, the Hebrew word for God's will literally means pleasure or desire. The point our text makes is that part of God's sovereign good pleasure was to reward His Son for His marvelous work of salvation. Christ has accomplished the good pleasure of God, and His reward will be that all people will acknowledge Him as Lord and King. As God's people, we will magnify, we will adore Him for being willing to bear God's wrath against all our sins, And for restoring us to God's favor. Beloved, the point is that God had a plan for our salvation. According to his good pleasure, Christ had to walk the pathway of suffering to attain glory. The Bible makes it clear that we are to follow in his footsteps God's plan of salvation involved oppressing and grieving his son and requiring his blood as a guilt offering for our sins. Don't fret. Don't get anxious when God and his good pleasure allows you to go through hard times. Don't get discouraged by the struggles, by the setbacks in your life. Christ has redeemed you with his precious blood. He has made you his own possession. The proof of God's love is evident in that he gave his only son for us. That's our comfort, that's our confidence. In all circumstances of life. Amen. Let's respond to the gospel message by singing together part of Isaiah's servant song. We're going to sing from hymn 25, stanzas 3, 6, and 7.